Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you guys. Um, you were gracious to me and my wife and allowed us to have a few weeks um, to kind of sort of recoup after um, the year that we all had in ministry. And uh, that was my first time, uh, I think, since I was 14 that I had a stretch of weeks away from the church. So that was really um, interesting for me, revealing for me. I understood. I said to Evan on, uh, on my way back, uh, I understand what we're competing with, how difficult it can be. Um, to be here, uh, how restful it can be to be at home, but I think being here is really important, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, and so during that time when I was away, uh, I had the opportunity to just pray through and read through what I think would be something useful to us um, as a people, important for us to understand, which is our role as stewards. Um, and, and so uh, before we get into that, actually, um, just this past week, two things um, that came up that I'd like to share with you is one, uh, this was in the, the weekly newsletter that there's a family um, that's currently staying in a hotel whose house got flooded last week. And so there's immediate needs that that family has. And so as we talk about stewardship, one of the questions that was going to be raised is what does God want us to do with his stuff? And, and so w w when I was reminded this morning about this family, I think one of the things that God would want us to do with his stuff is take care of uh, others. And so if you're not on that newsletter, uh, we'll make sure that you are in the future. Um, if you are on that newsletter, all the information that you guys need um, uh, is there on, and how you can help and what those needs are. Um, but uh, right now, some of those needs are just um, some women's clothing. The sizes are here, some men's clothing. Um, they have pets, a cat and a dog, and they need hygiene items, um, bed sheets, blankets, boxes and things like that for storage. And so um, if, if you'd like to get involved with that, again, you can check the newsletter if you see it there, um, or you can reach out to our deacons, uh, that's Derwin Devlin, uh, Devlin or John Sender, um, and they should have more information on that as well. Or you can ask me. I just got back, but I'll figure it out for you. Uh, and then the second thing is, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, um, uh, Luke Underwood was here um, from the Pioneers basketball team. Uh, we wanted to continue to support them. They practice just in the room next to ours. Right, they're part of our community. We want to serve our community. Uh, he talked to me this week. He is about $1,000 short of what their team needs to be able to finish out their season. Um, so me and my wife committed a little bit more uh, to them. Uh, but if you guys would like to just help that team a little bit, you can talk to me about that. Um, the best way that we could support them is on the 15th. They have their last home game of their season. Um, and so I'll make sure that we have that in announcements for next week. But I would love for some of us to be there. It's like $10 a ticket, um, but an easy way to support them is to be there. Uh, I'd love to build that relationship some more. Um, so those are my two additional announcements that came up last minute. But, but again, we're going to be talking about stewardship in our series. And, and so I thought what I would do um, as we enter into this is first uh, read some words that are probably pretty familiar to us, and then we'll talk about them. Uh, so tell me if these sound familiar. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Has anybody heard these words before? All right, they're not in the Bible. All right, but if you're like me, I know what? Uh, if you're like me, you grew up in this, and you grew up in this country, you've definitely heard these words before they can be found on the first line of the second paragraph of our Declaration of Independence as a country. And these lines are absolutely fundamental to the traditional American mindset, right? Many would say that um, this is what it means to be an American, to believe that these things are true. And I think in relationship to one another, 
uh, they certainly are. I believe that humans are created with certain value and purpose, that not just anyone can come in and step on those or take those away. I agree with that in relationship to one another. But I think we often make a mistake um, when we believe that we own these rights ourselves. And so we make a mistake when we believe that we own the rights to ourselves and to our lives, to our liberties and our happiness. I think that's an error to think that these things are ours. And so the problem is that we all either forget or reject or miss the most important line in that second paragraph of that declaration, and it's that we're endowed these rights by the Creator. And so that means we're given these things by God, which means that amongst ourselves there's certainly inequality, but amongst God and men there's not. It means that God has a right to these things and the things that he gives us. It means that God's the one who owns our rights. It means God's the one who's able and has the right to give and take away because he owns everything because he made everything. We just read that from Revelation chapter 4. Uh, that line that we read from Revelation is the elders and the heavenly hosts singing those words to God that he's worthy uh, of all glory and honor in all things because he created all things. And, and that's not news found in Revelation. That's not the first time we hear these things. In fact, the Bible begins with that line. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Deuteronomy 10-14, behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heavens of heaven and the earth and all that is within it. Psalm 24-1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. That's us. Psalm 89, 11, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it is yours. You have founded them. And then Revelation 4, 11, worthy are you, O Lord, and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Are you catching the theme? And so listen, I'm convinced that everything was created and exists and is owned by God. Do you believe that that's true? Now pause for a minute before we answer that question. Because it has massive implications. It, it means extremely personal applications for our lives. Because if God owns everything, it means he has a right to it all. And if God owns everything, it means we own nothing. And if God has a right to everything, it means we don't. So again, if God owns everything, it means you own nothing. But instead, we owe him everything. And that can feel really scary and uncomfortable. And so in that context, I ask the question, do you believe that it's true? And if you do, the next question is, do you live like it's true? And I think that question is even scarier than the first. And so I think this is a really big concept, again, with huge implications, which is why I thought it would be good for us to devote uh, the next few weeks and, and months, really, to this question. And I really want us to expand our understanding of what it means to be stewards, because just like it, that declaration is so fundamental to what it means to be to have an identity as Americans, I think biblical stewardship is equally fundamental to what it means to be God's people. And so, so again, if you're like me, whether you've heard the word stewardship in the church before, you, you probably expect it to be followed up with a conversation about 
money, and although stewardship certainly includes money, I think it would be a huge mistake or at least an incomplete understanding if we just end things there. And so, again, because God owns everything and we own nothing, it means that everything we have was given to us by him. And so when we look at how we spend our money, I think the question that I'd love for us to begin to ask ourselves is how does God want us to spend his money? And then moving past that, when we we go to spend our time, I think the question that I want us all to be asking is how does God want us to spend the time that he's given us? And when it comes to our, our gifts and our talents and our skills, I think the question that I hope all of us will begin to ask is what does God want us to do with those talents and those skills that he's given us? Because if God owns everything, we own nothing. And if we don't own the things that we have, it means we're just stewards of them. And so that life and that liberty and that pursuit of happiness, there aren't things that we have a right to in relationship to God, but they're things that we're stewards of and gifts of God instead because we don't own those things. Instead, we owe God for giving them to us, which is a completely foreign concept to so many people and even uh, for myself that's not how I typically think it's really easy to get this wrong but I think scripture is pretty clear that when we when we think we have a right or a claim to things that we don't it leads to disaster and so this is what I want to talk about again for the next few weeks I want to get to the bottom of what biblical stewardship is in such a way that we all begin to live like that's true And I believe with confidence for us here in this room or listening online that if we would just lean into our role as stewards, that amazing things will happen and we'll begin to see God working in different ways because we'll be doing what he wants us to do. We'll be participating with him. And and I think we'll see him more clearly because we'll be doing what he's doing. And and I think it leads to blessing, not just for ourselves, but for those around us because ultimately that's what God's purposed us to do to be a blessing to those around us. And so for today, as our intro into this concept of biblical stewardship, I actually want to look at a group of people who misunderstood and rejected their role and its responsibilities, and I want us to see the warning that's in the passage, but also the promise and the blessing that's there as well. And so with that, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 33. I'll read that, and it's on the screen as well. Jesus says, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to, uh, to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretched wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. So Jesus said to them, 
Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's a marvelous thing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So Jesus tells this parable during the same week that he entered the city on the donkey. It's the same week that he overturned the tables in the temple, casting out all those who were, who were defiling his father's house. It's the same week, week that he'd be taken out of his father's city to be killed. And the Pharisees who he was talking to perceived that he was talking about them because he was. And it was obvious to them that he was because a vineyard and a garden had been a picture of God's kingdom and the land of promise from Genesis 1 all the way through eventually to Revelation. So right away in our Bibles, God creates a garden paradise for his people and he places them in it to tend as stewards to work it and be fruitful. And that was a blessing. He blesses them when he gives them that instruction. But in Genesis, just as quickly as God created this place, this garden, and gave it over to tenants, those tenants determined that they had right to the things that they did not. And they chose to take those things that weren't theirs and chose to disrespect and disregard its creator instead. They claimed what was theirs, which was not. And in that way, this parable tells the story and the condition of all of our hearts separated and rebellious of God. But within the specific context in which Jesus is telling this parable, I think it illustrates the history of Israel. That God made them a nation and gave them a land of promise to dwell in as its tenants and stewards. That God gave them the blessings, but also instruction and responsibility to grow that blessing and to spread that blessing to all nations. But instead, the nation of Israel chose to keep those blessings to themselves and separate themselves from the rest of the world, not as holy the way that God instructed them to, uh, but with feelings of superiority. And they believed that they had the, a right to those blessings and that God owed them those blessings because they were the chosen people regardless of their obedience or faith. And they believed that the things that God had given them were in fact theirs. And what happened is they lost the understanding of their role as stewards and believed that they were owners instead. And because of that, when you read your scriptures, whenever you see God sending uh, messengers, whether they're prophets, the people rejected them. And they rejected God as their king, and they chose from amongst themselves one to rule. And, and when those kings were disobedient and God sent messengers and prophets to confront them, they were often beat or killed or stoned, just like the servants in our parable. And so John the Baptist, the prophet just before Christ, came and he was beheaded. And by the end of the, the week that Jesus is telling this story, his fate would be the same as the son in that parable. And so just as the Pharisees said, the master of this vineyard entrusted his property to new tenants because of the failures of the ones who came before. So the nation of Israel alone is no longer the primary people that God is using to grow the blessings of his kingdom. It's now the church. It's us. 
And we aren't bound to one specific nation, but our group of people who are to represent them all. And, and we're now the ambassadors of God's kingdom and stewards of his grace. And what an amazing blessing it is that he chose us, that he gave us the opportunity to fulfill that position. And I think what's amazing is one of the primary functions of that stewardship is of his grace. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, we see that the Apostle Paul understood this role. And he, he writes to the church in Ephesus to make it really clear. And he says this, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel is made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have the boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So we're the new tenants of Christ's gospel. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ's kingdom is at hand. And the great news that comes with his kingdom is that all people, both Jew and Gentile, have access with confidence to Christ through faith in him. And so verse 9 that we just read reminds us that God created all things. That's our theme, right? It's his. And the message that we've been given is to share and to share with the world is that Christ is coming to collect what's his, the fruits of this world. And for those stewards and tenants who are fruitful, he'll say, well done. But for those who try to take what's not theirs, for those who deny the authority of the master or dismiss or worse, kill the messengers of the master, they'll meet a really unfortunate end. And so this morning and this month, I want us to reflect deeply on our own lives and consider which type of tenants we've been. So have we fallen for the lie uh, that's just pushed by the world around us, that we own the things that we have, that we have a right to determine what we do with the things in our possession, or do we live daily with the understanding of the role and responsibility that God's given us in such a way that he'll be pleased when he returns to collect on what's his. So being stewards of everything that's God's is this really big responsibility, and it's one that we'll certainly fail at all the time, but what's so amazing about the master that we have is that one of the things he's given us to steward is his grace. We're stewards of his grace, which is new every day, meaning it never runs out. And so when we fail, when we, when we misunderstand or we forget, he reminds us that, yes, we have these responsibilities, but we also have his grace. And so as we interact with the world around us and with each other here in this church, I think we have to use and share God's grace the way that it's been shared with us. Because it's not just our grace to keep 
or withhold from the world like Israel did with the promises of God, but it's God's grace that he's given us to steward and grow and develop and spread the same way you tend and care and grow for a garden or a vineyard so that there's a yield and a harvest. There's something that can be seen. There's something that can be shared. There's something that can be experienced. When it comes to God's grace, the question that we have to ask is, what does God want us to do with it? And the answer is to work it and plant it in such a way that it's fruitful and it yields a harvest. And so this morning, I want to ask you as an individual and us as a collective this, this question. If God asked today to collect the fruits of the grace that he's entrusted to us, to you, would there be anything for you to give him in return? Have you been good stewards of his grace and fruitful with it, or have you kept it to yourself, thinking that it's yours, thinking that you owned it and had a right to how it was used and who was worthy of receiving it in return? What kind of stewards have we been when it comes to the grace that we've been given? So I was preparing for this talk this morning and, and, and having to present these questions uh, and prepare this series has been a challenge for me because it's often just felt like a reminder of all the ways that I've fallen short or forgotten my role. Uh, and so instead of thinking of examples in my life where God's grace had just proven to be fruitful or um, to my benefit or even where that harvest uh, w was clear, the work that God had done in my life and the places that I had shared that with others, I thought it might be better um, to tell you uh, of examples of times in my life where I was more like the Pharisees and I'd forgotten and I'd been selfish with the gifts that God had given me or where I'd taken things for granted or believed something was mine that wasn't. Um, and so many of you know that in my previous church, I served as a youth pastor for years. And if I've talked about this before, forgive me, but um, one of my favorite seasons in that role uh, also proved to be an example of some of my greatest failures, too. Um, so during my eight years as a youth pastor, there's a period of time where God allowed uh, this group of students that I had, around 15, to very quickly grow to around 60 students a week. And it all happened organically. Uh, there was this uh, mom with students in her youth group who worked at our daycare. She lived in an apartment complex. She asked if she could borrow the church van because there were a few students in her neighborhood who wanted to come along as well. And so I said yes. And about three weeks after that, uh, that van wasn't large enough uh, because those students had talked to some of their friends. And so then it became um, a short bus. And a few months later, it was uh, a van and two buses and eight bus stops going through the community collecting these students. And it was really exciting. Um, but our group grew from 15 students who had grown up into the church to, like I said, around that 50, 60 number who, of, of students who often didn't know Adam from Eve. Uh, it was an exciting time. And so during that time, when it came to communication, I was probably never better than I was during those three years. Uh, I had built the biggest volunteer staff I ever had. Like I said, we had this bus ministry with these eight bus stops in the community. We had dinner together every week with, with these students. Um, and women from our church would volunteer and sign up to to make a meal for these students every week. It was really exciting. We were pulling off events left and right, and so from the outside, it looked like we just were doing everything right, and God was blessing it. But somewhere in there, I lost track of it being God's vineyard, not my own. 
And somewhere along the way, I stopped relying on God for the strength and the power needed to see these things through. And I began to work as if I was doing all of these things for God instead of doing them with him. And I started relying on myself. And I started pushing really hard on my team to manufacture, produce results instead of just being faithful and trusting that God would bring forth what he wanted. And so I got that it was him who was able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that's within us. That's verse 20. And I stopped being a good steward and asking God what he wanted for his ministry, and I began to seek what I thought I wanted. And in that process, I sought to win over students by my own charisma or my teaching abilities or how big an event I could pull off instead of winning them to Christ by his grace and his love. And I started making demands and expectations of my staff instead of encouraging and equipping and supporting them and instead of recognizing the students who God was working in and building them into leaders I left them to their own devices to disciple themselves, and I focused on seeking the lost. And, and so as exciting as those years were in ministry, and as big as those things were, and as um, genuinely miraculous as many of the fruits were in that time, I recognize now that that was all despite me and because of him and his grace. It's his garden, not mine. And so I gassed a team. I emptied their tank. I started to focus on um, trying to win over students uh, that I wanted to instead of seeing the ones that God had already been working in. And, and just as quickly as all of those things grew, it all crumbled because I became a bad steward when I forgot my role and confused the land and its fruits for my own. But God's really good and he's really gracious. And so his grace is new every morning, and so much as I succeeded and failed during that time, God also taught me so much about myself and what he actually wanted from me. And so in the years that followed, I tried to be faithful to the gifts that he'd given me, recognizing God's plan for how to use me may be different than what I expected. And, and I started to support my team and build up leaders instead of building myself up using them. And, and now I'm excited not just to brag about uh, myself or what ministry did with me at its head, but instead to give a shout out to God and those like uh, John Murphy, who uh, I tried my best to pour into and to teach out of my own weakness. And so John is now the person who God made the new tenant of his vineyard that is the youth ministry at my previous church. And so when it became clear to me that my time working that field was over, God was gracious enough to give me the opportunity to hire and train my replacement. And so I got to hire an intern, come part-time youth director, now full-time youth pastor in that role that was once mine. And I can't be more grateful or proud of the fruits of that labor and the harvest that's come forth. And so as hard as that work was, uh, none of the credit is mine. And John uh, is doing a great job with that youth ministry, taking um, the philosophy um, that we built together and taking the mission and understanding the vision for what it means to be a minister and a steward of God's ministry. Uh, he's doing a great job. And so, John, if you hear this, keep going. Don't make the same mistakes I did. I'm so thankful for God delivering you to me and for the grace that he's made so evident in your life in the way um, that you've been stewarding that grace now. Um, so just remember that the vineyard you're in is God's and continue to seek after God's will for his ministry and keep relying on God's strength and power to bring forth the harvest. Let faithfulness and obedience be the measuring rod for success and nothing else.
And so for the rest of us here, as we wrap up this introduction to biblical stewardship, I want us to be introspective this week and to consider, uh, you know, where we've been mistaking God's things for our things. Ask questions like, where have I confused his grace to be something that I deserve, but others don't? Where have I decided that I have the right to keep something from God? Where I've rejected his messenger or his son? And whatever it is, I hope that this week we can, we can begin that process of giving those things back to the one who gave them to us and begin asking the question, man, what does God want us to do with his stuff and with me? So whether it's where we live, how much we make, what we drive, or how we spend our time, it's so easy to forget who created all these things. And when God comes to collect on what's his, it's so tempting to reject his servants and messengers and cling to tight to what we feel we own. But I hope as we reflect together today and over the next few weeks that we'd all become confident and convinced that it all belongs to God and determined to be the best stewards that we can be. So how amazing and miraculous is it that when God looked for new tenants of his kingdom, he entrusted it to us. And how amazing is that one of the things he gives us is his grace. Biblical stewardship is so much more than the money which comes and goes, but instead it encompasses everything and all aspects of our everyday because he owns those too. So again, over the next few weeks, let's commit together to each other that we'll consider how we use the things that God's given us, how we spend the time we have, where we share our talents and our gifts so that we can be better stewards than the ones who came before. Let's not waste the grace that we've been given, but share it and grow it into a harvest that we can all be proud of when Christ comes back to collect. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, that it reminds us time and time again that who owns it all, and it's you, and that's so clear. Now, Lord, thank you so much that one of the things you give us to steward is your grace, because we fall short so often, we forget so often, we disregard so often, but still your grace is there. Lord, I pray for all this morning that we'd see that grace as yours and a gift that you've given us, but also a responsibility to share that gift with others that we don't keep it to ourselves, but grow it into a harvest that you're proud of, that one day you'll say, well done. In your name we pray, amen.